You're listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. I guess you can open your Bibles over to Isaiah chapter 40. Probably take me a few minutes to get there, but Isaiah chapter 40. Um, I don't have any slides for you this morning. This whole thing's just been uh, coming together all week, and I didn't want to. Sometimes when I get going in slides, I feel like I have to take things in a certain order, and I wanted the freedom not to do that. So I encourage you to get something out to write with, write on. Um, prepare to take a few notes, whatever the Lord would speak to you during this time. Um, so I want to talk to you this morning about uh, preparing the way of the Lord or building a highway into your heart with the Lord. As Karen mentioned earlier, this is Palm Sunday uh, in the traditional church calendar. And that was the, it's when we commemorate um, the time when Jesus, and you can find this in three of the four gospels where Jesus came into Jerusalem uh, the week before Passover and the week before he would go to the cross. And that entrance was celebrated and he was he was welcomed in in a loud public fashion as a king. And there, there's a lot of imagery in there. We certainly won't be able to get to all of it. But, but there's a principle throughout the scripture uh, that encourages us. We take it on a personal level. It encourages us to welcome the Lord very actively into our lives, not just when we're getting born again, but daily, moment to moment, constantly have not just an open door, but, but to prepare a way, which means prepare a highway, prepare a road uh, into our lives for the Lord. And so where that comes from is, uh, you know, in the ancient world, when the king or a dignitary on that level would come into a community, they would build a road. In the Roman world, uh, when one of the upper magistrates came, they would come in ahead of that and fix or build a road. And they would be sure that, that it was as smooth and as straight as possible for that group to travel on. And it was, you know, and we honestly, we still do this in some ways today. Um, when a dignitary or a group of dignitaries or even a big special event come into a community or a place, one of the things that often happens when, when a group of government officials is going to meet in some nation, well, they'll fix all the roads that come from the airport. Sometimes they'll widen them. They'll, they'll make an easy access for those people to come in and come into the community. We even do this, I was thinking of, with the Olympics. When the Olympics comes to a city, it's a big event. And the city wants to, and I realize this isn't the whole motivation in our world, but if we think about it as Christians, the city wants to honor this big event and these athletes and these people that are coming in to the city. And so they redo the roads and they, and they repave the roads and they widen the roads and they do all this stuff to give access, right, to them. We even see it... Uh, one thing I always enjoy is when we have uh, the West Elk Classic bicycle race in the fall or one of the other Colorado bicycle races when they use Kebler Pass. You know, then they come in in 
July or August, and the county spends a bunch of time up there making that road. I, I mean, they smooth it out, they mag chloride it, they get it dry. It's like pavement. You can ride a road bike over that road when they're done. They spend all this time and effort to create a road that's appropriate for what's going on there. And so this was a process in the ancient world, and we see it even in Israel, where there was always this idea of welcoming the king, welcoming God, welcoming the Lord, creating a highway for him to come into our lives. So, so for us, we have to remember, I just want to give you a couple of things. Oh, in fact, this just hit me actually just this morning. In Psalms, and of course it relates back to, it's, this is all written about uh, in Kings also, but but in Psalms, it's either 132 or 133, it talks about a hard attitude that King David had, where he said, and, and I was reading it in the Passion Translation, I'm going to butcher it a little bit here for you, but, but he said, there's no way I can even cross the threshold into my home and rest and be comfortable in this home that you have given me, God. There's no way I can even do that until you, God, have a place to rest. And his heart was, I want to build you a house. And of course, he and God had a big discussion about that. And God said, you know, I live everywhere. And they had this whole discussion. It finally came down to, okay, if you're going to build a house for God, you're not the one to do it, but your son Solomon will do it. And he built the temple. But the heart attitude is what I want to get at. And I thought it was brought out so well in the Passion Translation, that, look, I can't rest. I can't come into what you've given me and just rest and enjoy that until I've made a place for you to rest and feel welcome. Jesus uh, talked about over in Revelation, it has that picture of Jesus where he says, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man opens the door to me, I will come in and sit down at a table and eat with him. I'll prepare a table and eat with him. And it's this picture of, but, but it's so interesting. Jesus, the king, comes and knocks. And then the person has the opportunity to open the door or not open the door. Okay, and it's only if there's a welcoming, only if there's an open door, then he will come in and enter in and present all that he is and invite us into himself and a meal of himself. But there's that step in there of we have to open the door. And we've talked before about the idea of, you know, he wants to come in and live comfortably and rest in every room of our heart, in every part of our life. And how many how many rooms? Do you only let Jesus in the guest room on Sunday, you know, or, or is he welcome in all of the house? Can he check out the refrigerator? You know, is, you know how, how much access have we given him? And so we see this principle all through the scripture. And then there was this big picture that hopefully we'll get to after a while um, in the Gospels of when Jesus came into Jerusalem. And I think Karen read some of that at the beginning of the service, uh, you know, and, and they came out, the crowds came out, and not only did they lay down, we say palm fronds, it might have been as leafy branches anyway, is what the literal text says. They, they went and they, you know, they made an effort, they cut things, they made the road 
beautiful for him. They laid their own clothing down on that road so that he could ride in. And, that, and that's a picture, again, that comes back. Uh, all of that was prophesied of him riding in, that your king will come riding on a colt of a donkey. I mean, all of that was to fulfill prophecy. And it was also in Israel's mind because of other kings that came in and were celebrated in that way. It was a, an exact uh, unmistakable is the word I'm looking for, picture of the fact that we are welcoming Jesus as king into Jerusalem. And, and there are some other things in that narrative, and, and we'll, we'll talk about them. But God always has this desire to enter into our lives with this full provision of salvation and to release that into our lives. And so our role in that is to constantly intentionally welcome him to come in. Wherever he comes in, wherever God enters, there is a release of his kingdom. And when we think about the kingdom of God, you know, we, we think about that and the kingdom of God is a realm in which God rules. And so we can look at that two ways. We can look at that from both sides. It's the same truth, but we can look at it from two sides. That wherever the Lord is welcomed in, he releases his kingdom. And we can also realize that wherever we see a release of his kingdom, when somebody, when when we pray for somebody's healing and that person is healed and, and set free of whatever kind of sickness and disease, well, they not only were touched and healed there, but, but the Lord brings this realm of health into their lives. We enter into a realm of his rule. In, in, uh, when we experience deliverance or freedom from whatever bondage would be uh, hindering us, we enter into a realm of God's rule. There is no bondage where God rules. There is no sickness where God rules. There is no death where God rules. There are no tears where God rules. Uh, anything that we want to talk about, there's no poverty, there's no disease. All of those things are not a part of who God is. And so wherever we see those things take place, we recognize, in fact, Jesus said it this way. I'm getting way ahead of myself. We'll try to get to Isaiah 40 soon. But um, Jesus said it this way. Uh, he told, I believe, the Pharisees, he, he told them, if I cast out a demon by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So there's this, there's this idea there that when a demon spirit is cast out or when sickness has to flee or whatever it might be, the kingdom, the place where God rules, has come upon you. Jesus' whole message was the kingdom of God. It, we use the word near, but it's a really intense word of the kingdom of God is right here, right now. It is, it is not just near like it's on the other side of the mountains in Denver. It's right here, right now, all right? In time and space, it is here. And that was the message of Jesus. And that, was, that is the message that he brings and the effect that he wants to bring every place that he comes. And our role in that is to welcome that kingdom. Does that make sense to you? To create in our lives an open road, a wide road, a, an obstacle-free road into our hearts. I personally believe there are no RVs on that road. 
trundling down that road at 25 miles per hour. I don't think they're there, okay? It's just obstacles are removed. Just, in a, just a thought, okay? Just a thought. All the RV lovers are like, what? <laughs> there are no people enjoying the scenery at 25 miles an hour on the road. They've all pulled over as they should, and they park to enjoy the scenery. We love that. Just pull over. Anyway, getting into the flesh here. Isaiah chapter 40, did you find that? So this obviously is a prophecy from Isaiah. It was picked up and spoken about John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And, and so this is a definition of John the Baptist's ministry, but it is much more than that. Almost all the time, uh, I guess I would, I would say all the time, prophecies have multiple fulfillments. They have a primary fulfillment in the people that they're being spoken to right at that moment, but they're also fulfilled in multiple ways and multiple times because the word of God is so full and alive. So Isaiah chapter 40, um, beginning in verse 3, I think this is the NIV, uh, it says, A voice of one calling, in the desert prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Make straight in the wilderness, so there was no road there, a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And notice what happens when that road is created. The glory of the Lord will be revealed and all mankind Together, we'll see it. The glory of God, the manifested presence of God will be revealed, unveiled. And it's not just, we, we create this road in our lives, taking this on a personal level, and for the Lord to come in and do and say all that he wants, and his glory is revealed to us, but also all mankind will see it. There's an outward effect. Whenever we receive and, and grab hold of the manifested presence of God. When we receive something, it isn't just, it's never just for us. It is also for those around us and, and our sphere of influence. Does that make sense to you? So every time we see God entering a, a time or a place, just like we just said, then there is a release of the characteristics of the kingdom of God. And so this verse is, is saying... You need to prepare this way for the Lord. And that term way means a road. It means a path or a road, or in this case, a highway. And here's what that word prepare means. Okay, think about this with me. If we're going to prepare the way for the Lord's entrance, for his kingdom to come in, to find its resting place in us as his people. All right, prepare means this. I love this. It means to turn away from and to turn toward to turn away from and, and to turn toward. Does that definition remind you of any other concept from the Bible? Repentance. Thank you, Gary. Never mind. <laughs> I was trying to think of a little treat for you, but I don't know what it was. <laughs> Repentance. And that was the message of John the Baptist, wasn't it? Repent, for the kingdom of God is right here, right now. That was the message of John the Baptist. That's what this word prepare, prepare the way of the Lord. It involves choosing to turn away from some things and turn toward 
the Lord, and that is repentance. So, it, so preparing, how do I prepare the way of the Lord? Well, one thing is a lot of times we need to repent. That doesn't always mean uh, having, you know, it doesn't mean having tremendous guilt and sorrow and feeling terrible and worthless and all of that. It means God presents himself or presents his truth to us. And it, in the Greek language, in the New Testament, it really means to change your mind. It means that, oh, that way of thinking, that behavior, that direction I was going, that way that I was raised, you know, to, to respond and to function, I suddenly have a revelation. The glory of the Lord has been revealed to me, and I suddenly realize that, oh, that's not the way God does it. That's not the way God thinks. That's not the way God approaches that. It's not, it's not his way. And so I changed my mind and I say, oh, well, I'm not going to think like that anymore then. I'm going to agree. I'm going to turn toward. I'm going to agree with the Lord. I'm going to agree with the word. I'm going to accept that. And then I may have, there's probably a process to bring that change about in a full measure in my life. But I'm making this decision right now. That's repentance. And sometimes we feel you know, we feel some conviction and some guilt. And oh, man, Lord, I've really let you down or blown it there. And then we repent, and but many times, for us, it's it's not like that. It's just oh wow, revelation. I I just I never realized that that attitude wasn't pleasing to you. Well, I'm changing my mind. Help me, Holy Spirit. Help me to live that out, and I'll walk that out and recognize it next time I run into that situation. So, so this term prepare, that's one of the ideas. Turn away from and turn to. It means to forcefully face a specific direction, okay? So sometimes we have to forcefully, in our own hearts, discipline ourselves and say, no, I'm not going that way anymore. I'm not participating in that anymore. I'm not going to have that conversation again. I'm not going to dwell on that thought again. I'm not going to continue to see myself in that light anymore because that's no longer who I am in Christ. I'm not going to see myself as a person trying to get God to heal me, I'm going to begin to see myself as the healed who has already received the provision that he has given me. I'm not going to see myself anymore as uh, helpless and hopeless in, in addiction or dependence on this situation. No, I, I'm, that's not who I am anymore. And so we, so we forcefully face a specific direction. Again, we agree with what the word says. Okay, and this word prepare also means to remove all RVs. No, 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 sorry. Remove all obstacles to reaching a specific destination. Remove all obstacles to getting to a place that God is trying to take us on this road. So this, this idea is we want to remove all any obstacles that would hinder his progress in transforming our lives or carrying out his work through us. Okay, I want to remove. And and I I don't mean to make this sound like this is all our work. We make the decision to welcome him. The Holy Spirit will, is actually the contractor on the earth and he will work in us to remove obstacles, but we're going to have a part in that. Again, he's going to give revelation, the glory of the Lord will be revealed and then we need to agree with it. We need to move with it. Many times, you know, we need uh to repent. But we, there will be obstacles that he needs to remove. I'll, I'll give you some examples here in just a second. So then it says, make straight this highway, right? Make straight this highway in the wilderness. Make it, make it straight, 
Okay, that term straight uh, from the Hebrew, it means to take down hills and raise up valleys. And that scripture brings that out to take down hills. Okay, so we're, so we're hills, what they, they slow you down, you know, uh, in general. And valleys would be a place that we kind of fall into in our lives. All right, so we're going to take down hills. We're going to raise up valleys. We're going to straighten curves. We're going to make really easy access in our lives to the Lord. When I think about this, I think about, and this is very counterintuitive to me because I love hilly, curvy roads. I don't like flat, straight roads. They're no fun. But nevertheless, you get what the Lord is saying here, okay? Um, when I go from here to my brother's house in Montana, usually on the motorcycle, the next trip will be in the car, but but anyway, the first part of that trip, you leave Gunnison and you start going over passes, right? And you start working your way uh, to Wyoming. And you go over several passes. You go, you know, through a lot of curves. You go through some slow road. You go, um, but it's all interesting, beautiful country. And in the summer, when you do it in the summer, uh, I don't know if I mentioned RVs. Uh, there, you know, there are a lot of real slow moving vehicles. And you just really have to be patient, you know, in that first part. You get, you get up to Walden finally, and that's a, there are several ways, but this is the way we usually go. And then you, then you drop down, and, and all the traffic disappears right there. Uh, you come out of North Park, and all the traffic goes away. And you drop down this long, I don't know, 20 or 30-mile grade down to Saratoga, Wyoming. And from there, the roads are wide, and they are smooth, and they are re relatively, compared to driving through Colorado, relatively flat uh, but, you know, it's rolling hills. It's still nice country, but you can move. And if you're coming the other way, getting from Bob's house to Saratoga is a day. And then the shorter part, getting from Saratoga to here, is a day, you know, because you can move so much faster. The speed limits are higher. The roads are wide. They're flat. They don't have as high a taxes as we do, and yet their roads are in really good shape. But we're not here to talk about that today. Um, but when I think about this, I, I think about that contradiction in that trip, that it always feels like, you know, you're just struggling to get there, and then finally you can go, and you can go all the way across Wyoming and into southern Montana very easily the next day in less time that it took you to get across Colorado. So hills and valleys and curves, they represent attitudes and actions and beliefs uh, that just slow down the restorative work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. And the Lord's saying, prepare the way, make straight, allow the Spirit of God to remove what he needs to remove and fill in what he needs to fill in. And of course, this is a lifelong process, but the attitude is always, Lord, we are creating a highway. We are here to create this highway. We are here to open this part of our life and allow you to do what you need to do. So here are just a few ideas. There are many others. I just made a little list here. Things that might be hills, valleys, curves, etc. going on in your life might slow down the restorative work of the Holy Spirit. One certainly is legalism, which is anytime we think that a good work is going to uh, earn us something with God, we're going to get more, you know, it, it, we're going to get more of his love, more of his favor. We're going to be more accepted. All of those things, good Good works are great as long as they come from the Holy Spirit. They're wonderful, but they don't do those things. Our position in him is all based on what Jesus did, and it has to stay that way in our own hearts. We don't do any good thing 
no matter what it is, to try and get God to love us more, accept us more. That is all done in Jesus Christ. And we have, so everything that we do, we do from a position of fullness. We do any good works that we do, it's because, because he loves us, not to get him to love us. It's because we have his favor, not to get his favor, okay? So if you, have, if you find areas of legalism in your life, and many of us do, many of them, many of us were raised in a certain way that we'll find those things going on. Anytime you're tally boarding things, anytime you find yourself saying, well, I did this, so God should have done that. That's an evidence of legalism. That's legalism rising its ugly head there. And you need to partner with God and get that removed uh, from your life before it makes you real bitter. Okay. Traditions of men that make the word of God of none effect is another one. Jesus talked about that. There are traditions, religious traditions, religious beliefs that are taught and taught and, and the songs on the radio are full of those things and that kind of stuff. And yet they're contradictory to the scripture and to grace and to what the Lord has done for us. How am I going to know that? You got to be in the word. You've got to spend time in your life in the word of God and with Jesus Christ. You have to know him so that when something comes across in a real religious cloak, but it's, but it's not according to his nature that you can recognize that and reject it. I don't care how pretty the voice is. I don't care how nice the music is. If it's speaking traditions of men to me. And, and just one, of course, one of my pet peeves um, that always come up, it comes up is this idea that everything that happens on earth is somehow God's will. Okay, that it's God's will. We've taught on that a thousand times. We'll teach on it another thousand times this year, probably. And so I'm not going to spend time on it. But, but that idea that everything that happens in my life, I just have to accept it. Nothing I need to fight or resist because, you know, it's just somehow it's God's will. And if God wants it to get done, it'll get done. And if he doesn't, it won't. And so I just have this real passive. Uh, that's, a, that's a tradition of men. It is a religious tradition that is not born out in the scripture. We could name a lot of them. Be a, be a good uh, teaching sometime. But anyway, so we need to, we, those are hills and valleys and curves, and they'll slow down the work of God in and through us, okay? Trying to live without, here's another one, trying to live without basic Christian disciplines, okay, that create time and space for God and his word in your life. More and more people are doing this, and we've been watching this happen actually over a long period of time, but in this culture, we're losing the idea of the quiet time with God on a daily or very nearly daily basis that we, we carve out, no matter how busy the schedule is, no matter how many little kids we have, no matter what's going on, God's first. And so we carve out. In fact, we think about how busy we will allow ourselves to get on the basis of, I've got to have time for God in my life. And that means time in his word, in a quiet place where you can actually think and meditate on that word and ingest that word and spend time in his presence, sometimes just quietly worshiping, sometimes just quietly there hearing and listening and letting the spirit of God just saturate your heart and just sensing his presence and sensing his direction, all that kind of thing. If you live without that discipline, you know, it, you're, you're just creating valleys and hills and curves. I think curves in particular uh, speak of distractions that cause our course to wander and cause us just to go here and there and everywhere. It's just not a, 
straight course. I personally think of curves in that sense, something that would cause my course or indecision about what I believe. Well, this person says this and one, this person says that. And well, I just don't know. And so you're, you're honestly, you're double-minded is what the Bible would say about that. And so you're unstable in all your ways. And I'm not being critical. It may sound critical. It's not. It's just dangerous. I'm not being critical. It's just dangerous. And it won't get you anywhere. James says the, the uh, double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. We need to settle on what the Lord has said and accept it and, and realize it and believe it. And then the final one I'll give you is just sometimes we see people just honestly just flat out refuse truth that the Lord has revealed to you. It's one thing if you don't know what this word says about something. I always think of there was a woman years and years ago uh, that we were helping, she was having a uh, number, a couple of her kids were in a lot of trouble. They were having a really rough time and uh, making a lot of really bad decisions. And so we were discussing prayer and intercession and, and uh, you know, her role. Of course, everybody has a decision to make. Her kids had, a, had decisions to make. But they needed intercession. They needed us praying for them. They needed us taking authority over the demonic influences and voices that were trying to lead them down those paths. They needed people standing in that place. And so we were having a discussion about that one day. And, and what came back was, well, I don't, I don't like to hear that. Not, that. not that she didn't recognize it as biblical, but I don't like to hear that because that makes me feel responsible and makes me feel tired. Well... God has called us into partnership with him. God has given us some responsibility. This is important, and you don't have to do it all on your own. And the end result, uh, you know, you, there's a lot to it. Your kids are going to make choices and, and all these different things. But to, to just reject the truth and say, well, I see that in the word, but I don't want to do that. That's going to really hinder when we do that. That's going to really hinder. I've, we've seen it on, in a lot of different yeah, I see that in the Bible about giving. I don't want to do that, you know, or I can't do that yet or whatever. Just a refusing the truth that God has revealed. Bad, bad, bad idea. God always reveals truth to, to move us forward, to thrust us, to accelerate our lives. And so if he's revealing a truth, it's, it's for you. I mean, it's, it's for your good. Okay. Does that make sense? So, so we see that, um, you know, this verse in Isaiah 40 and other places, it says, it's this idea of prepare this way, make it straight, make it flat, do everything you can to fully open your heart and, and have this welcoming of the king attitude in your life on a daily basis. And then we find, you can turn over to Psalm 85 with me. I've got three passages about this idea that I want to go through today. Psalm 85 is the second one. And, and so what we see then, and I said this to you earlier, was we see this with Jesus and, and with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. Whenever they come into a place or a person's life or a situation, the kingdom is released. And there's a tangible effect of the kingdom being released. We don't just say that from the idea, it's just sort of a, you know, just claiming this spiritual thing that happens and then not expect to have a tangible effect. I mean, we don't, we don't, none of us, as hard as, as much as we want it, we don't see 100% 
of what God has promised, but we need to pull on 100% of what God has promised in this earth because it is what God has promised. So here in Psalm 85, this idea gets brought out again, this idea of preparing this way for the Lord. Let me, uh, I want to pull it up over here so I can see this whole passage. We're going to start uh, in verse 9. And I'm going to look at this from the Amplified Bible. Let's just read the whole passage and then we'll pick it apart. It says, surely his salvation is near. Which again, that word means right here, right now. Not, not way out there. Remember we just talked, was that, well, it would have been a couple of weeks ago. We talked about how the word is near you. It's in your heart and in your mouth. The Lord was saying, it's not too hard for you. It's not too high. It's not too far away. The word is near you. This is the same kind of idea, idea, except it's broader. It says his salvation, which includes freedom from everything that's not of God's will for our life. Okay, so surely his salvation is near to those who reverently and worshipfully, worshipfully fear him and is ready to be appropriated. It's ready, it's near, it's right here, and it's ready to be appropriated that or so that the manifest presence of God, his glory, may tabernacle and abide in our land. I have it here from, it's the Amplified Bible, but it's the new version of the Amplified. Let me read this again. I love the way this reads. This is just verse 9. I said I was going to read through it all. Can't do it. I got Let's dig it apart one at a time. Just can't. Can't. This is such a fabulous verse. It says, surely his salvation is near to those who reverently fear him and obey him with submissive wonder. Obey him, not out of fear, not out of, he's going to hit me over the head if I don't, not out of drudgery, out of submissive wonder. Isn't that a great idea right there to have submissive wonder in our attitude toward God? God, you are so awesome and I yield my life to you and you are so amazing you're so awesome you're so good you have the answer to everything all of your wisdom all of your goodness and you've given it to us it's so amazing submissive wonder okay his salvation is right here right now as we obey him in submissive wonder so that the glory, the manifest presence of God may dwell in our land. Think about that. Think about how we as believers take up, we open our hearts, we take up this submissive wonder. We, we, we recognize his salvation is right here, right now, ready to be appropriated and ready to be distributed. It's all done. Jesus already paid for it. The blood has been shed. He's seated at the right hand of God, not still standing there working. He has poured out that blood on the mercy seat and anyone who comes to him in faith can enter into a relationship with him, call him Lord and Savior and begin to walk with him. It's all here already. And he says, it's near to us so that his manifested presence can not only, not just so that we can see it and enjoy it, so it can dwell or abide in our land. Not just your life, not just my life, not just your house, not just my house, not just a church, but dwell in our land, the, the influence of the godly, the influence of the righteous, the, the influence that is released 
from your life, not as you, even as you try and convince somebody of what you believe, but as you live your life in Jesus Christ, there is an anointing. There is that you are, you know, Justin talked about last week, we are a city set on a hill. We are a light in dark places. There is something being released from your life that you don't even always see, and I don't always see, but it's there because God has said it would be there. We want, I mean, what a great idea. I want, isn't that what we want? I want his manifested presence. You know, there's the presence of God. He's everywhere all the time. We get it. But there's the manifested presence, the presence of God in release, in activity, in in demonstration. It's that kingdom influence. We want that to dwell on our land. We want that to dwell over Gunnison, Colorado, over the Gunnison Basin, over our state, over our nation. We want that to dwell so that when other people come, they, they enter in to that presence. What a great verse. And in verse 10, it says, this is a powerful verse, mercy and loving kindness. Okay, those two together, mercy and loving kindness. In fact, I better keep reading from here because I have two different translations going here. And I'm so easily confused. Verse 10, steadfast love, which is mercy and unconditional love. Okay, mercy and unconditional love. And truth. And so that's one thing, steadfast love and truth, okay? The second one is truth and faithfulness. Those meet together, this scripture says. Righteousness and peace kiss each other, kiss each other. So in Jesus Christ, this is what we know, in Jesus Christ, there's no division between unconditional love and mercy and grace, and all those ideas, there's no division between that idea and truth and faithfulness. Okay, There's no division between those two. In our culture lately here, we are, well, we're not, but the culture is trying to promote the idea that, no, love means you don't necessarily tell somebody the truth because that might hurt their feelings. You love them by agreeing with every idea, every lifestyle, every decision, if, if they're in what the Bible would call sin, you just agree with that and you support them in that and you celebrate that with them. Okay, that's the culture is saying that's love. The scripture says, no, that's not love. And it says that there's no division in Jesus Christ between fully embracing and loving somebody in an unconditional way and having mercy for them and compassion for their lives. No division between that and truth the word of God. No division between the two. We can, we can, in Christ, we can present truth to people in love. That's what we're commanded to do. It is loving somebody who's sitting out in the highway waiting to get run over by a truck to pull them out of the highway. That's loving them. Just leaving them there and saying, oh, it's so awesome. You are so awesome. You just, you just, you know, because they don't believe that the truck's going to hurt them. And so we just I just celebrate that attitude with you. You just stay there, get squished. That's not love. Does that make sense? Somebody in a burning building that doesn't believe the fire will hurt them, you still go pull them out because the truth is the fire is going to hurt them. Okay? Does that make sense? So this verse talks about that. It says there's, there's no division in this. Steadfast love and truth and faithfulness. Steadfast love and truth and faithfulness meet together righteousness, right standing with God and right relationship with God and peace, kiss each other. 
All right, no division between those. Go to verse 11. Truth, which is faithfulness in this context, this, this word truth really speaks of faithfulness, springs up from the earth and righteousness looks, and that word looks means to pour or rain down. So righteousness rains down from heaven. And that, that's an incredible idea right there. Righteousness poured out from heaven empowers us to faithfully walk in the truth and all of its benefits. Righteousness is being poured down from heaven. Righteousness is right standing with God, right relationship, acceptance with God, poured down from heaven. And in that context, in that place, truth is and faithfulness is springing up from the earth. The rest of that verse 12 says, Indeed, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its produce. So again, all of these are bringing out the fact that where the kingdom is welcomed, where, the, where we recognize the nearness of the kingdom, all of this fruit begins to be born. All of these things begin to work and go right. All right? Verse 13, this is how this ties back into our original idea. Verse 13 says, righteousness will go before him. That means it'll go out ahead of him and will make his footsteps into a way in which to walk. Okay, I want to I break that down a little bit for you. Um, if you read that from the New Living Translation, it says, righteousness goes like a herald in front of him as his forerunner, preparing the way for his steps. So in the Hebrew languages, both of these ideas exist here, that where the kingdom of God is being welcomed, and the Lord is being welcomed and he's entering in where that nearness is being recognized. And we realize it's right here, right now. And we welcome the realm of God's rule. We welcome all that's contained in that. Where, where we're doing that, it makes a path for his steps and it makes his steps, his way of doing things, a path that we can walk in. It enables us to walk in his steps. So again, there's this whole idea of when we welcome him in, when we usher him in, we don't leave any obstacles in the road. Not only is his entrance made into our lives, but this effect is felt. Our lives are changed. The way we live is changed. We begin to, we are enabled and empowered to walk in his ways. Okay, does that make sense to you? This, to me, when I think about this, when I meditate on this verse, I see the Lord coming and entering into our lives, our community, whatever we're praying over. The Lord coming and entering. And it's like when a semi is going down the road, there's a big bow wave of air being pushed ahead. And when you, and you don't notice it as much on four wheels, but you sure do on two, when you go around a semi and, and you come up beside them and you start to hit that when you're just getting up to the front of the truck, there's this wave of air that will try to push you this way and then you'll and then it'll just kind of rocket you forward in that pass. You know, the same thing happens with boats. They push a bow wave. And that's as the Lord is entering in, there's this welcoming right relationship, righteousness that he has given that goes ahead of him and brings us, ushers us as we're ushering him 
He is coming in and ushering us into the presence and the manifestation of his presence. Does this make sense to you? Does that picture help at all? And, and so it's saying that righteousness, it's going ahead of him. He doesn't come in and then wait for everybody to get it together. He presses right standing and free relationship with God ahead of himself as he comes in and welcomes us in. And in that environment, his steps become a path that we can walk in. Does that make sense? Okay. Am I way out of time? Yes. I knew I'd never get through three. Let me just give you a couple things. You guys can look this up on your own, but I just got to mention a couple things to you. The next passage I wanted to look at, I think Karen already read to us, was Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 44. And that is the story of them welcoming Jesus into the city as king. Okay, and we already talked about that a little bit. People, what I want, a couple points I want you to see from that. People came out actively. This was public. This was a big deal. They came out publicly. They went to an effort to cut down branches and put them in the road and throw their cloaks down. They, they, did, they were making so much noise that the whole city noticed and wondered, who is this that is being brought in? And the religious people got all upset about it. And, and Jesus' response to them was, you know, if I silence these people, the rocks will cry out. But there's a verse, and I think we'll just, we'll just I'll just tell you this, this one verse. I think it's verse 37. The Gospel of Mark says it this way. It says, those who went before him or in front of him. This is this crowd bringing him in, right? Those who went before him and those who followed were shouting praises, okay? And, and some of the other translations say that he was surrounded, he was encompassed, I think it says, by people shouting praises. The idea there is one of the real keys for us to have this welcoming attitude to the Lord is to live in a heart environment of praise where it goes before us, it comes behind us. Jesus was ensconced in praise and praise ushered him into that place. So for us, the idea of praise and of worship and of thankfulness, those kinds of attitudes about every, you know, not about a situation, but about God's role in that situation, continually remembering who he is, continually remembering what he has done, continually recounting the miracles that we've experienced in the past, keeping those things at the forefront, praising him for his goodness, praising him for his mercy, praising him for his compassion, praising him for his wisdom, having that attitude and that place in our lives as worshipers will open our hearts and open his way into that place. And the, and the last verse, so did you get that, it, that, that attitude in our lives is so important. And the last verse I'm going to speak to you today, verse 44 in, in Luke chapter 19 from the Passion Translation. This is written in different ways in different translations, but the idea is the same, of course. It says, Jesus says to Jerusalem, he, he, he talks about how the religious leaders came and they said, oh, you need to tell these people to be quiet and stop this. Religion always wants to shut down genuine worship and shut down a flow of power and all that. And, and he said, he told them that the rocks would cry out if he did that. And they started talking about Jerusalem. And he said, how many times have I wanted to gather you to myself? How many times have I wanted to wrap my arms around you and draw you near to my heart? 
And he, he says in verse 44, since you did not recognize God's day of visitation, your day of devastation is coming. Since you did not recognize God's visitation, your day of devastation is coming. That wasn't a threat. That wasn't a, he was, he was in fact, it, uh, some translations say there, he was openly weeping about this. It wasn't that God's saying, well, because you didn't do the right thing, you're going to get it. That was not the attitude. He was weeping over this. But he said, because you didn't recognize, because you didn't join in and welcome the king in, there's a day of devastation coming for you. And it came, as I realize again, there are multiple versions, multiple manifestations of that, but it came years later when Roman general came in, tore the temple down, brick by brick, melted the gold out of the temple, took them captive. You know, Jesus said it was because they didn't recognize, they were ignorant of the Lord's visitation. So for us, the message there is let's live on a daily basis with this welcoming attitude. Let's recognize when the Lord's trying to speak to us, when he's trying to enter into a situation, let's recognize it, let's welcome it, let's celebrate it, let's, let's have praise and worship on our lips at all times. I had a little list there of, of just things that we can change in our own hearts, but I really don't have time to get to it today. I think you got what we needed out of this today. So let's stand up and pray together. As we come together, you know, as we go out of this place, you know, we're going out to carry him. You know, we're, we're the donkeys in this, in this thing, carrying him into the city. And uh, let's just pray over it. Father, Lord, in our own hearts, I just pray all over this room this morning. If there's any door we've closed to you, we choose today to open it. If there's anything you have said that we've turned a deaf ear to, we choose today to hear it. So please speak it to us again. If there's a place of hardness that's been caused by hurt, maybe bad choices we have made or maybe things other people have done, Lord, we bring that and we present that to you, Lord. We don't want that hindering your way into us and through us. Lord, we, we choose this morning to turn away from things that would hinder your progress and turn toward you and embrace all that you are and all that you are saying. And Lord, as we live this week and we live in a, a time where some people pay more attention to you during this part of the year, Lord, we ask you to open those opportunities before us to just talk about how awesome you are and the, and the things that we have seen in you and to take your nature and to release it to people, Lord, to take your healing and release it to people. Father, we, we want the door wide open for you to come into our lives and to flow through our lives. And so we pray all of that this morning and pray, Father, again, that as we have opportunity this week, Lord, that you'd pour yourself out, that your glory, your manifest presence would dwell in Gunnison, Colorado. Lord, we thank you for that today in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said, amen. All right. We're going to say on the count of three, Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world will be dismissed. We're going to gather back up at six o'clock tonight and enjoy his presence. Okay. You guys go out there and be the church this week. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.